This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest will lead the top-ranked Fighting Irish to another historic gridiron season. Marcus Freeman. The powers that be in South Bend, Indiana, certainly shook down the thunder from the sky last December when they promoted their 36-year-old defensive coordinator to follow in the footsteps of the great Newt Rockney, Frank Leahy, Araparsegian, and Lou Holtz as Notre Dame's 30th head coach. It is my pleasure to welcome Marcus Freeman. Uh, coach, welcome to game time. It's great to see you, and congratulations. Thanks, Boomer. It's a, a pleasure to be on here as a longtime Bengals fan. Uh, you know, I definitely is somebody that looked up to you growing up, and so it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Yeah, Dayton, Ohio kid that you are. I appreciate that. That could be uh, Brown's territory as well. Hey, one of the most touching moments, uh, I think, of the year, video moments of the year, was the way that your team swarmed you when they found out you were going to become their head coach. I mean, I was touched by it. I had chills in the back of my neck. How did it make you feel? It was surreal. Um, it was a moment that I knew was going to be happening uh, probably about 48 hours before that. And uh, I was under strict orders to, to not leave my house and not be on the phone or not communicate with anyone. So when, when, when Jack Schwarber allowed me to go embrace my team, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be around them. I wanted to spend time with them um, and just hug them. And uh, it's a moment that I'll never forget. When you were at the University of Cincinnati, you had a chance to go to LSU or to Notre Dame to become their defense coordinator. You chose Notre Dame. Why did you choose Notre Dame? You know, it wasn't an easy decision. Um, I came and visited Notre Dame first and loved everything about it. And then I went down to LSU and, and Coach Orgeron is one of the best recruiters in the game. And, and um, I left there really confident I might be the next defense coordinator at LSU. And so when I got back home, I told Coach Orgeron and Coach Kelly I needed a day to decompress with my wife and just really think about what's best for our family. And, and ultimately, it was the, the chance to associate myself with this great university. And, and um, I knew I, I didn't think I was going to be here forever, but I knew being able to say um, I was a defensive coordinator at the University of Notre Dame would would put me maybe in a different light and, and, and the presidents that make the hires for, for the, the next opportunity I had. Um, I thought, you know, that's what I wanted to associate myself with was this great university. And little did I know in, in 12 months that um, I would be the next head coach here. You know, you said it's not every day you get to go to work with a camera in your face. And this is something that the school produced a video showing their new head coach on campus going through the things that you go through on a daily basis. What have you learned in the short time that you've been a head coach that's a little bit different than where you've been before? Well, you know, there's there's daily obstacles that, that kind of take you away from the X's and O's. And that's the, the thing that I realized is I knew you would be busy, um, that I think I would have more time for football. 
I, I wish I did. But mm-hmm. there's parts of this profession and parts of this um, job about that that has nothing to do with football. And um, you have to take things one moment at a time. And the greatest advice I have ever been given um, for a first-time head coach is be who you are. And that's um, what I've tried to do. I'm trying to attack every obstacle um, with who Marcus Freeman is at the core of his heart and, and do things with integrity, but do it the right way and uh, and be myself. And so time management's been huge. The ability to, to keep a schedule is the first time I've ever had to keep a schedule. And um, I need it. I need it to keep me on track. All righty. We're just getting warmed up with Coach. Stay with us as game time continues right after this. Now, are you up for a little quiz game that we call Wake Up the Echoes? Absolutely. All right, here we go. Which Notre Dame Hall of Famer later became a Purple People Leader and State Supreme Court Justice? Alan Page. Yes. It's game time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back to game time, everyone. Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman has credited his father, Michael, with teaching him about discipline, motivation, work ethic, and honesty. His mom, Chong, taught him about unselfishness, sacrifice, and the true rewards of serving others. So your dad has a military background, Marcus. How how did he impact you? Well, my dad was in the military. He was in the Air Force for 26 years. And, uh, you know, he was a little bit older when he had me. He was 43. Um, and so it was that relationship of a military father where it was yes or no, sir. It was, uh, you know, I tell you to do something, you do it. And I, and I learned to respect um, my elders. I learned to respect authority. And uh, that was that's who my dad was. He was he was tough. He um, he, he made us outwork. Uh, he always said, you're going to outwork your opponent and outwork your competition. So I remember as a I, I don't know exactly what the age was, but it was for a couple of years. You know, my father would make wake up me and my older brother at about five in the morning when he finished his workout. Um, we had a, a, a bench. We had a, a piano and 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 those were in the uh, the, the family room. And so um, I remember we would be running in place if he was finishing his workout. He would get us on a bench and he would use that uh, that piano chair to make sure we we touched the bot- our butts to the to the bottom to the chair to make sure when we did our squats that we got low enough. And so but that's who my dad was. He is a, a, a straight shooter, um, hard worker and a believer that you can always outwork your opponent. And what kind of sacrifices did your mother make? You know, she's South Korean and uh, I'm sure there were a lot of adjustments uh, for her to make for you guys to be successful. Yeah, I think sometimes when you're um, in that household, and you're in that world, you don't realize and have an appreciation for the selfless sacrifices that she made. And, you know, she came over here in 1976. She left her family, came over here with my father, who was in Korea um, serving in the military and and. She walked away from all that to to be with my father. And, uh, you know, they eventually married and, and she just cared about her family. She cared about doing everything it took to make sure her family was taken care of. And I remember my mom working three jobs and um, there was there was a part time job at night. She would do being a custodian and, and me and my brother would go and help her at night. And and as you get older, you look back and you appreciate that you appreciate um, the hard work that she put in, but it was all just to, to take care of her family and make sure there was food on the table. And, and that's how I became who I was, you know, who I am now is that it's, again, a military, very disciplined, tough, hardworking father and a mother that just did whatever she could to make sure her family was taken care of. So you and your brother are also junior national champions in Taekwondo as well, right? Yeah, yeah, that's something that uh, 
when I was about four or five years old, my mother got me into was a place called Ming's Martial Arts. And that was something that she grew up around uh, Taekwondo. And it was something that um, we did from I did from four to 12 and ended up getting a black belt. And uh, again, it's, it's very similar to wrestling in terms of, you know, one on one combat. And it, it taught me valuable lessons. And I actually went from Taekwondo and I started doing some wrestling. Um, but it, I talk about that wrestler's mentality or Taekwondo, that one-on-one mentality and that, hey, you got to take ownership for the wins and losses. And, and that's something that I try to you know, promote in our team is that, hey, when things aren't going well, we all have to have a wrestler's mentality and look at ourselves and say, what do I have to do as an individual to make sure we have team success? You know, interestingly enough, you know, you chose Ohio State over Miami, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and of course, Notre Dame. Uh, why did you choose Ohio State uh, when you were coming out of high school? Well, I mean, my dad was born in Columbus, Ohio. Um, he had grown up an Ohio State fan and, and being an hour, less than an hour away from uh, Columbus, Ohio, um, growing up in Dayton, Ohio, it was something that you 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 always dreamed of doing. You always dreamed of being a, a Buckeye and, and playing football. And uh, when, when I became uh, a high school football player and I started getting scholarship offers, you knew once you got that one from Ohio State, the school you dreamed of, you dreamed of um, growing up that you were probably going to go there. And so I had players um, that were on the Ohio State team that I played with in high school. And so I had a connection with that coaching staff and with that place. Um, Notre Dame was a place I was really considering. I love Coach Willingham. Um, the one thing that I wasn't able to do um, at Notre Dame that I was going to be able to do at Ohio State was graduate early. And so I remember that was a big reason um, why I chose Ohio State, too, because I wanted the chance to graduate early and to enroll in school. And uh, that wasn't something at that time Notre Dame uh, was providing and offering. All righty. We'll return to look at how Marcus Freeman unexpectedly became a coach right after these messages. Brought to you by the Ford Bronco Sport. Built Ford Tough. Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds, protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. Welcome back to Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Ohio State linebacker Marcus Freeman, who wore number one, by the way, and I don't know, really know why, was selected in the fifth round of the 154th overall of the 2009 NFL Draft by the Chicago Bears. As he put it himself, my butt got cut real fast. Freeman also added that it was a great learning experience for him, but for the first time in his life, he had to handle being outside his comfort zone. You know, you were on the practice squads at the Texans and the Colts, and then Indianapolis physicians said that you had a heart condition. That, that had to be a little bit shocking for you, I would imagine. Well, yeah, it was, it was a unique situation, unique time for me. Um, I was at that point, I was on my third team. I was actually in Houston with the Texans, and I was on my third team in a year. And I said, all right, my knees were starting to hurt a little bit. I'm on practice squad. Is this the time for me to start transitioning to life after football? And, and I had talked to Coach Tressel, who was my college coach. I had talked to him about um, – you know, maybe getting into coaching. And, and all of a sudden, when I went back to Columbus, Ohio, um, the Indianapolis Colts called and they wanted to sign me. And so I remember coach saying, hey, as long as you can play, go play. And so I went there and they found out my physical I had an enlarged heart valve. And, and it's crazy. It's um, something maybe it's a sign from God because I, I've had EKGs before. I did that stuff at the combine, um, but they never found anything. But 
That day, they found an enlarged heart valve. They disqualified me and said, nobody else is going to sign you. And I kind of got right into my coaching career. Yeah. And when did you realize that coaching was going to be in your future? You know, I'd always wanted to be an athletic director. And I always said that, hey, I don't want to be a coach. They work crazy hours, man. I want to be involved with sports. But athletic director was something that I was really interested in. And um, I remember being in Houston and saying, well, I thought I was going to play five, ten years in the NFL and then kind of get into to administration. And, and I said, this game, I'm not going to play this game that long. And so I think that's why I started to develop this passion of being around the game of football closely and, and not as an athletic director, but actually be, maybe being a coach. But I still thought coaching was, you know, hey, being on the sidelines, you're just coaching ball. And what you look, realize when you start coaching, you're a G at Ohio State, is that you get your satisfaction through watching your players have success. And, and that's the passion that I developed for being a coach is that you live through your players and that you live through through seeing them have success and seeing them make decisions and, and seeing them achieve their goals. And, and that's the passion I developed really quickly um, being a GA at Ohio State. You know, you've also been around a lot of successful coaches from obviously Coach Tressel, Luke Fickle, Brian Kelly. Like, what have you learned in your short period of time from those three gentlemen that you can really apply there at Notre Dame? Well, I think you take a little bit of everybody and you you kind of develop who you are. But at the same at the same instance, you still have to be who you are. And, and I've learned a tremendous amount from Coach Tressel and Coach Fickle and Coach Kelly and, and Coach Daryl Hazel, who I was with at Kent State and Purdue. And, and um, there, there's attention to detail that you have to have. There's the discipline, the hard work um, and, and the love that you have to try to create amongst the team. But but it's ultimately the preparation. How do we find different ways to make sure we're preparing um, our team to be as successful as it can when it has those 12 guaranteed opportunities to play this game. I, I take bits and pieces of everybody I've been around, um, but at the core of who I am, it still has to be uh, Marcus Freeman. Empowering and connecting with your players, that's exactly what you've done, and that's why you are where you are. We'll be back for more with the head coach of the Fighting Irish, Marcus Freeman, after these messages. You're watching Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back, everyone, as we continue with Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman. Now, according to one of his sideline colleagues, Freeman is more of an encourage you coach, although he has no problem getting on you if you're not hustling. In short, his players love him because they feel he's always in their corner. And as I said at the end of the last break there, Marcus, I guess now in coaching, it's really about connecting with your players. You know, you're a couple weeks uh, younger than Sean McVay is out for the Rams. You're one of these young, uh, energetic, uh, impactful head coaches. And I, I guess it's a different way of doing things now, right? Yeah, I think it's just uh, it's it's being able to relate to your players and and. I like to say my leadership style is as a teammate and I want our players to know that I'm in this fight with them and that, hey, if we win, we're going to win because of you and we're going to win as a team. But if we lose, it's going to be because of a team and it's never going to be to point your finger. It's going to be looking at yourself. And and again, that goes back to that wrestler's mentality I talked about having. And so I think when you're vulnerable and you give the players your heart, and you say, hey, this is who I am. I'm not closed off. I want you to know me as a father and want you to know me as a husband and, and want you to know who I am is real. 
I think you earn trust and credibility with your players. Then you can you can push them as far as you want. You know, the misconception is that, hey, you're a player's coach. You're their buddies. No, no. I care about them and they, they have no secrets. But at the same time, because of that trust, I'm going to be able to push them farther than I, they could ever imagine. You know, you're a successful defensive coordinator. I, I can tell just by talking to you, you're going to be a great head coach. But really, in college football, it's about recruiting. And what is the secret to your success as one of the best recruiters in college football? Well, I think it starts with the work. I think it starts with trying to outwork your opponent, outwork the other coaches. And, and that's a, it goes back to how I was raised. Let's find a way to outwork um, our opponents. And that doesn't just mean time. It means being creative, thinking outside the box. And, and, but it still comes down to relatability. You know, it's being able to have a connection with these players and, and being able to figure out what they want. If you truly listen to players, I think they'll tell you what they want to hear and what they're looking for. And you've got to be a great listener as a recruiter. You know, too many times do I hear coaches and, and it could be our coaches. It could be anybody just they want to sell, 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 sell. But to me, part of selling is listening. You got to listen before you start selling. And I have the, I feel one of the greatest, the greatest products to sell. And that's to to play championship level football, play at the highest level of football, but also to get a degree um, here at the University of Notre Dame that's second to none. Hey, is the transfer portal a good thing, coach, or not? I think it can be, for sure. And for us, it's been a very beneficial thing. And you don't see a lot of our players. I haven't seen a lot of our players enter the transfer portal um, because they're not happy. Um, A lot of our players, they wait till they get through their degree and they say, hey, coach, um, we're looking to go somewhere and play more and, and looking for a different opportunity. But a lot of our players, um, they, they earn their degree first and then they maybe hit the transfer portal um, to to continue to play more. And so I, I view that as a very positive, positive thing, you know, but I've seen at other schools. And, and maybe when I wasn't at Notre Dame, there's times that the transfer portal was was there and, and people capitalize on it when they weren't happy. Right. Or when they weren't getting what they want. And so that's where I think it can be negative in terms of, hey, I'm just going to go if I'm not happy here, I'm going to go into the transfer portal and go somewhere that I think will make me happy. And that's not why, you know, college football is is the greatest sport there is. You know, I want to make sure our kids understand college football is great because it helps you become selfless and overcome um, obstacles and put others before yourself. And ultimately, if you work hard enough and you do the right things, you'll be rewarded because of it. All right, well said. We'll be back to mount a final game-winning drive with Coach Marcus Freeman right after this. Which Notre Dame power runner was known as the bus and is back on campus getting his degree for his mom? Mr. Jerome Bettis. Yeah, I'm sure it's pretty fun having him around, right? No doubt. Drive into Manhattan for an unforgettable staycation at Midtown Manhattan's luxurious Kimberly Hotel. Treat yourself to New York City without the crowds, protected by our highest safety and hygiene protocols to keep your family safe. Welcome back to Game Time with Boomer Esiason. Welcome back to Game Time as we continue with head coach Marcus Freeman. Okay, Coach, you are recruiting me. You want to keep me from going to the University of Maryland. Why should I come and play for you at Notre Dame? Number one, you you want to play 
at one of the best football programs in America, then then you're going to consider Notre Dame. The chance to play this game at the highest level, the chance to compete for national champions every every year um, happens here at Notre Dame. But we can add something to that, and that's a degree that truly will set you up for the rest of your life. The ability to combine those two, to me, there's no better option for a person that values their education, that, that understands we're not looking for a plan B. Your plan A is the NFL. Guess what? That's our plan A. Your plan A is to to be a national champion. That's our plan A. But there is life after football. At some point, this game's going to be over. And and for us that are on the other side of it, we realize how important it is to educate yourself, to to earn the knowledge and in, in that w- will help you be successful. And that's to me why this opportunity to, be, to play football at Notre Dame is, is second to none. All right. I'm sold. You sold me. Now, I know your competitiveness has been well documented. Now, are you up for a little quiz game that we call Wake Up the Echoes? Absolutely. All right. Here we go. Which Notre Dame Hall of Famer later became a Purple People Leader and State Supreme Court Justice? Alan Page. Yes. Which Notre Dame power runner was known as the bus and is back on campus getting his degree for his mom? Mr. Jerome Bettis. Yeah, I'm sure it's pretty fun having him around, right? No doubt. We've been, uh, yes. once a week, we have weekly meetings. All right, good. Legendary former Notre Dame sports information director Roger Valdeseri had a brainstorm to change the pronunciation of the family name of a certain fighting Irish quarterback. Now, who was he and why did he change his last name to rhyme with? Would it be Montana? Joe Theismann. Oh, Theismann. Theismann. Right, right. Remember that. Okay. Joe's not going to like that you didn't know that. <laughs> uh, which Notre Dame quarterback successfully conquered hypothermia with a halftime bowl of chicken soup and led a legendary fourth quarter Cotton Bowl comeback? Montana? That's Joe Montana. Yes, I got victimized by one of those comebacks too, by the way. Which multi-talented Notre Dame Hall of Famer was so good he was the only player to win the Heisman Trophy despite a losing season in Notre Dame? Ooh, would that be Paul Horning? That's Paul Horning. Very good. Marcus, it was so great to meet you, and I wish you nothing but the very best, and thank you for joining us today. And to all of you out there for watching, I'm Boomer Esiason. I'll see you again real soon right here on Game Time with Calgary Flames superstar Johnny Gaudreau. Your brand new head football coach! Yeah!